My darling girl, when are you going to understand that being normal is not necessarily a virtue? I'd rather denote a lack of courage. You've just entered the cool friend hour. Hey everybody! Do you like midnight margaritas and getting caught in the rain? Do you throw spilled salt over your shoulder and plant rosemary by your garden gate? Well then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Ghoul Friend Hour. I'm your host Morgan Feza. Let's get weird. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Ghoul Friend Hour. I'm your host, Morgan Feza, and today I have two really awesome guests. I have retired NYPD Sergeant Ralph Sarchi, also the author of Beware the Night and the main Hollywood production of Deliver Us from Evil. And then I have Sean Austin, paranormal investigator, medium songwriter, and I'm going to put et cetera, et cetera, because I feel like you both do a lot. So <laughs> let's uh, let's get into it. Um, I'll pass the torch to Ralph and we'll kind of we'll start with you. All right. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. No problem. It's my honor, really. What do you want to know? Well, let's see. Um, so I know a lot about both of you because I have researched and studied extensively, um, but I want to kind of tell the listeners a little bit about your, where you started really with the paranormal, because I know it was previous to your job as a sergeant um, in the New York Police Department. So let's kind of start there. Let's see, you know, where it really took off and what interested you to kind of get into this field. Well, <clears throat> when I was a kid, uh, a young kid, probably around 11, 12, I uh, was an avid reader and I uh, started actually looking at uh, UFOlogy. I started reading about UFOs, but there was th something just didn't quite click with me with it. So I moved on to ghosts, actually, you know, they're sort of in the same genre. <laughs> and I started to read a lot about ghosts and uh, particular, in particular, I would read about Ed and Lorraine Warren. <clears throat> so when I got older, a lot older, I had my first daughter, uh, Christina, and I had uh, found a book called Hostage to the Devil. I'm sorry. Uh, it was called um, Saints Harvest. I'm sorry. Okay. And um, it was a story about a case that the Warrens had handled, and I read it. And it was then that I decided to contact the Warrens. So I reached out to them and uh, it was from there that I got involved, uh, you know, as one of their investigators. And it sort of just uh, progressed from there. Okay, nice. And so I did, um, one of the things that I did read about was how extensively you worked with Ed, um, and that you guys had a pretty close relationship, you know, what was that like the first time reaching out and meeting them and kind of him taking you under his wing? Well, I had written about this in the book. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
And I, when I first reached out to them, I, I spoke to Lorraine. Ed was in uh, Newfoundland at the time. So I, I had about a, a 45 minute conversation uh, with Lorraine and I expressed interest in getting involved in the work. And she, she said to me, are you sure you, you understand what this entails? So I says, yeah, I pretty much do. And she says, do you mind if I ask you what you do for a living? So I says, oh, I'm a New York City police officer. And then the whole thing changed because Ed loved to have police officers involved with his investigations, especially NYPD, because <clears throat> we're known all, that, all over the world. You know, everybody knows who the NYPD was. I was in the middle of Iraq in a desert and uh, the NYPD was mentioned and, and I Think we might have lost you. All right. Hold on. Let me text yeah. him let me know that we lost him. Mm -hmm. Good old technology. <laughs> uh so is the Wi-Fi. I feel like no matter how much you pay for it, no matter how much you get, how high speed it is. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, I know. It always could be an issue. Oh, all right. Maybe he'll join back in. I wonder if he was signed in to his phone, maybe. Oh, maybe. Well, um, until he kind of pops back, um, if you want, do you want to segue a little bit into uh, your early early life, kind of how you got into this field, um, you know, how you discovered your mediumship abilities, because um, I had known that you were a singer songwriter before any of this, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was that was my first passion before the paranormal. Um, I always believed in ghosts. I was reading Stephen King books in grammar school. Um, you know, I loved watching documentaries about hauntings and the unknown, the paranormal and things like unsolved mysteries and sightings and you know, leading up to the discovery when I started um, airing the the show, A Haunting, I really just loved watching people's stories and listening to all the experiences that these people alleged that happened to them. And I really believed in them as well. But I never thought about actually searching it out myself um, until one period of time with a friend of mine waitering at a restaurant. He's a real crazy skeptic and took him to a local cemetery that had lore of three women in white uh, at the cemetery and in that process of him being there laughing the whole night I end up having my first experience of a little girl ghost getting her voice captured on my flip phone um, not until the next night I mean I realized and listened back and a little child responded to me in front of a little girl's grave and and then about two three weeks later I saw a shadow of a little girl at the corner of my bed and then I just wanted to go out and experience more and learn more um, you know and I, I wasn't going out there to live stream or anything like I, I would just go out with a recorder because I wanted to experience I'm like wow this stuff is real it just totally changed my life by perspective how I look at everything every single day and um, you know as people asked me to come on a podcast uh, I started meeting some people online and they were telling me I had a calling and I really didn't understand what they were talking about with demonology and you know, I ended up having my own podcast and I reached out to Ralph actually um, when I found out about his movie coming out and I, you know, read his book and, um, you know, we ended up talking for a long time and then he asked me to come on case some cases with him and 
which led me to be on the first show that we were on together as an investigator for him was the demon files. Um, yeah. And, and again, it just progressed from there. And I, I published my first book and then, you know, on another TV show, ghost loop and, and the second book, I, it's just, it, it took my, um, my life by, by storm for and sure. I, I would say I was, and that's why I'm laughing because I said, et cetera, et cetera. Cause when, um, and don't laugh at me, well, you can laugh at me, but I, um, I didn't realize. So when I saw Sean Austin, I didn't put two and two together because you looked familiar and they didn't realize that you were the same Sean Austin from the demon files. So I had a, I had a little light bulb moment. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, Oh, okay. I was like, that makes so much more sense now. Um, and then like when I was, um, looking into your book, shadow chaser, and then shadow, um, it was shadow chaser, the in-between. Yes. Yeah. Um, and also kind of listening to some of your music, I was like, wow, I mean, you're very gifted. Um, you have a lot of different skill sets. So I just thought it was really neat that um, you're still kind of harnessing all these things. You're partaking in a lot. Um, and I just thought that was really neat. Yeah, no, no, I appreciate it. I mean, obviously, passions are really important to be involved with in life. And some people just don't have the you know, really want to take the risk to try to further themselves to take what's necessary. Um, and, you know, music was that first passion. And really, that was my main focus of wanting to be a successful musician. But then the paranormal was like a meteor out of the sky and took me off into a whole new direction. But, you know, music is still there. And I still record and, and write music. So, you know, here we are. <laughs> and, uh, for the listeners, um, Sean just came out with a single Mercy, right? Mm hmm. Um, fantastic song. Um, I actually listened to it a couple times this week and it's, it's very, um, your lyrics are very deep, um, which I really like. I appreciate, I, I might be a weirdo, but yes, I pay attention to the lyrics. I'm very much a, like, I like to read into them. I like to kind of really analyze them. So I, I thought the lyrics were great. Um, so you definitely have a talent for, you know, singer songwriting. Um, and I did not expect Thank that you. voice to come out of you. I was like, wow. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's pretty awesome. Yeah, no, I'm glad I'm not terrible. I mean, cause you think you're someone from the paranormal trying to sing and you're like, oh gosh, oh no, this is going to be like a, a bad American Idol uh, uh, showdown here, but yeah, no. no, but it was good. It was good. Yeah. Um, so I guess um, what I thought was really neat when I was kind of doing some research was I read something about how you have merged music and your supernatural, I'm sorry, supernatural investigative skills, and you've kind of fine-tuned your hearing um, to kind of help with investigations. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, when I first got involved in the paranormal, I really learned how to train my ear to listen for evps and and th things of that nature and i feel that because of being so intricately close to paying attention and when recording songs in the studio and paying attention to all these different sounds yes i mean definitely that would be the case um where i am here he is back again <laughs> yeah it's storm season down here so uh the internet just went out good old uh what do they it's, say i say mercury and gatorade <laughs> it's what it's what I imagine it would sound like during the Civil War with oh. the cannon fire, the, the, the way the thunder hits here. Oh, sounds yeah. like somebody just fired a cannon, a volley of cannons. Oh. It gets pretty uh it gets pretty real down here in Florida when it comes to storms. 
I was going to say good old hurricane season, right? Yeah. Well, that's, I believe that's in August, but we're, we're, appro we're approaching that. So, you know, um, now we get a lot of rain because it's going to be hot. And then we'll go for a period of months without any rain. Ugh. Florida's too hot for me. Yeah, I'd rather that than walk around in snow. Yeah. All right. So um, I, I hope that uh, you went to Sean and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. We're, we're interchanging here. So we're just having a little uh, back and forth fun. Um, but we were talking about how Sean kind of fine tuned his hearing to help with the investigative side of things, um, using that as a skill. Yeah. Also well, I, you know, I met Ralph too. <laughs> Well, I so, dealt, over the years, I dealt a lot with, with people that claim to be psychic or have abilities, you know, and I tell them, okay, you, you know, you're going to get a chance to prove it to me. So, you know, just don't talk. Sean proved it to me uh, numerous times. So I'm comfortable, you know, with, with Sean's ability. Okay. Now, can we talk a little bit about that? Um I feel like, um, you know, just kind of from a, a personal standpoint, you know, I've had many brushes with the supernatural. I, I definitely grew up in a very, very haunted house. Um, my grandmother was very gifted. And I mean, I definitely believe that I am sensitive. I don't, I have not really put a title or anything on that yet because it's not something that I've truly explored or kind of harnessed. But when I was reading that part, um, you know, kind of researching you, I was really intrigued by how you were able to discover that you had mediumship abilities and kind of harness that. And I kind of wanted to pick your brain as to how did you come across that? Like, what was your first experience that kind of had like that aha moment? Like I have something going on and how did you come into that and deal with the scrutiny and maybe judgment that comes with um, what I call the, the gift. Uh, I mean, I didn't expect to have some sort of spiritual awakening, so to speak, in the middle of my life. I, you know, again, I was interested in all this stuff from a young age and horror movies and the super, just like Ralph and reading books and stuff like that. But um, like I said, I feel like as soon as I opened up that door and that acknowledgement to that world, which we know in the paranormal field, acknowledgement is such a profound element um of giving energy to that and and spirits wanting to connect with you because of that and i believe that's why they connect with spirits uh, but children i'm sorry um because they're they're really open and not affected by the rational perspectives that are forced into their impressionable minds um you know it just kind of was like a trigger you know it's like i said i just told you my first experience within the first evp i had in the cemetery within two three weeks later it's like boom there's a shadow of a little girl at the corner of my bed it was even light out wasn't even dark and I just saw it flash in the corner of my bed and from there it was just like this explosion and I felt like I within the first year or two I felt like I skipped a lot of grades of typical experiences that people would have and I was like you know going through all this stuff where I had to absorb a lot of experiences really quickly and also try to define my spirituality and how to protect myself too because I felt like I was you know, I, I really didn't understand. I was actually paranoid. And I'm sure, you know, from reading books like even Ralph's and, and other books, because when I started to have, you know, experiences, I immediately went out and bought books because I wanted to, you know, become knowledgeable. And it's obviously 
defining that this stuff is real it really it's a different ball game just watching something on tv or a movie or something like that so the first book i ever read was the demonologist by ed lorraine warren i read ralph's book which was originally boy of the night and john zaffis's book and all these books i was just absorbing them um to really have a deeper understanding of the types of things that can happen and to be honest with you i was paranoid that the psychic stuff that was happening to me and in the books that i was reading about demonology it was that you know, because I was reading that demons could actually make their victims feel psychic. So I was having some dark things happening around me. So I had a little bit of a paranoia that, oh, my God, was there something making me trying to think that I was psychic? Because I'm thinking, why would I have this ability out of nowhere in the middle of my life? Because in everything that I knew, young kids would have this profound ability. And it was so uh, astoundingly <laughs> out there and noticeable throughout their life. And I'm thinking, why, why is this happening to me? Um, but, um, it was actually the other way around because I do remember in the, within the first year or two, um, say for instance, I had a, a hooded thing come to me in my bed and it was trying to choke me. And it said this very strange thing to me. It said the transformation. And I didn't really didn't understand what it meant at the time, but now looking back, you know, from a different perspective, I really do believe I know what it meant is that it knew I was having a spiritual awakening. I was starting to become open to this world and being sensitive to it. Um, and it wanted to induce fear within me in this process because I didn't understand what was happening and try to get energy as well. I mean, that makes sense. That makes sense. But that's, I mean, that sounds like a terrifying experience. I mean, that would, I'd probably have to change my pants afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, that's really profound. Like I've never, I, and honestly, I've never heard a story quite like that where somebody has come into these kind of abilities in the middle of their life. And you are right. It does tend to, I mean, all the stories that you hear are typically young children. They're like, oh, I've had this since a young age. And, you know, so, I mean, clearly you were very chosen for something. Um, and what I think is really neat is, and Ralph, correct me if I'm wrong, you almost died as a child. Um, I was watching something where your mother was, I think it was your mother that was speaking. And she said that you, when you were younger, there was an instance where you almost died and they weren't sure if you were going to make it. And then, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I got very teared up because when she said, you know, you survived and that you were meant for something and then to see who you are today and like, see you guys come together and you're using, you know, your purpose and your purpose and you're helping people all over the place. I mean, that's a beautiful God-given gift right there and truly proof of God's love, his mercy, his grace, and being able to bestow that upon people who maybe he's not, you know, as prevalent in their life due to their choices. Um, Cause I think as we all know, God wants to be very prevalent in everybody's lives, but that you have to accept him in, in order for that to happen. So I think it's neat that you guys are kind of, excuse my language, kicking ass together. <laughs> so, <laughs> but so, so where are we going next? I mean, I've, I've seen you guys have worked on um, numerous, I guess we'll call it, are they like little documentaries? Um, I haven't had a chance to watch them, but I saw that you guys, um, I watched the trailer for the Amityville Resurgence. Um, I dived a little bit into the Devil Down South. Then there was Letchworth Village, which was in New York. Um, and so 
I, I kind of want to dig into that a little bit because I thought that was pretty neat, starting with uh, Amityville, the resurgence. Um, yeah. You guys got some really profound evidence when you were there, probably more than anybody ever has. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's, I, it's still shocking um, to look back at some of that stuff because, I mean, Ralph and I, we've talked about this so much, and I'll just never forget that night because, you know, I had a new piece of equipment that, you know, people use in ITC um, for communication with spirits. And I remember going out to Ralph's place and I was just like, you know, you know, I was, I was hanging out with Ralph and I'm just like, I'm going to go drive by the, the Amityville house. And he's like, Sean, you trying to get me to go play with the devil? We were eating freaking pizza and then he springs <laughs> this on me. You know? <laughs> oh my gosh. So he was, you were just up for the adventure. I mean, that's brave. Cause I don't know if I'd ever have the guts to do that so let's uh let's talk a little bit about that i mean i've always wondered um because there is so much debate and back and forth on whether or not was the amityville made up was this just a true crime case was yeah. there something truly paranormal and i've always i've always sided with a hundred percent i feel like just looking at the pictures you can tell that there's something very dark and evil about that house but people like to kind of, you know, skeptics, they like to debunk. So I want to kind of hear your take on it. Go for it, Ralph. What, the Amityville house? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought you were posing a question to Sean, so I really wasn't. Sorry. <laughs> I guess Actually, I got to like well, open up the floor I, and I did, say. <laughs> I did hear that the, uh, the family that owns the Amityville house now are getting a divorce. And anybody that moves into that house, the marriage goes. Uh, I don't think there's any family that was uh, ever occupied that house um, that didn't end the divorce, uh, you know, except for the DeFeos, that ended in murder. So, you know, that, that would be considered worse, but marriages do not last in that house. And from what I know about how the demonic operate, that's one of the first things they're going to go for. But the... The things that Sean and I um, heard that night, um, it, it could not, there was no way it could have been a coincidence. There were just too many of them, you know, and, and the subsequent things that happened after that, because we had gone back. Um, but just, just the questions that were posed, uh, you know, and the answers, the responses that we got were, um, and what really floored me was, the little boy, John, we asked him if that he was the boy in the, in the photo of that Amityville house. And the response was, that isn't me. I could still hear it. So, and, and that voice was the voice that we attributed to John. He was responding to our questions as John using that voice the whole entire night we were there. So it's sort of undeniable. And then the gunshot, um, there's no way that should have come through, um, you know, that piece of equipment that uh, Sean had. Now, I don't use those things. I never use those things. I don't know how they operate. Um, I, I never approached it from a, a, a scientific point of view. So when, you know, when the demon files came about and I, and I had my group of investigators, Sean was included. They were bringing all of these scientific, uh, you know, instrumentation that I incorporated into the show, and that's it. But other than that, 
I, I was never interested in um, seeing these things or communicating with them or even knowing that they're present. I was only interested in one thing. You go. I want you to leave. Get out. I don't care what your name is. I don't care what you do. I want you to leave. So when we were able to, um, what I believe is free up John, that little boy, because we had gone there on a Saturday night. And, uh, you know, that next morning I went to mass and I prayed for the soul of that boy, uh, you know, during the consecration. When the priest holds up the Holy Eucharist, which for a Catholic is the body, blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. That's when I'm going to talk to him because he's present with me. Absolutely. So I, I begged him to to um, to release that little boy. And that was my goal. You know, that, that was the whole goal of the night, actually. And um, we went back, uh, what was it, a couple of months, Sean? Two, three months? Yeah, something like that, yep. Never and, came through uh, again. Never heard that voice come through. So uh, we were asking for him. Um, and in the meantime, we were getting a lot of cr cross chatter from spirits, actually, you know, um, some spirits wanted to know who we were and other spirits were answering. Um, you know, and one of the things that kept coming through is protected. You know, we were definitely protected um, that night and whenever we go out on cases. And it's comforting to know that you have the power of Jesus Christ on your side. So if, if we have that, then who, 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 who are we to fear? Who fears the devil? Who fears demons? I get the power of Jesus Christ on my side. They what's fear, that, they say, fear me. It's like, if Christ is for us, then who can be against us? Um, right? Yeah, well, Christ, actually, Christ said that in the context of exorcism. His, um, his apostles had seen some people trying to cast out a demon, and they, they try to stop the, the person from doing that. And when they told Jesus, Jesus says, you know, don't stop them because if they're with us, they can't be against us. You know, so um, it, it's basically the name of Jesus Christ, but be deserving of it. You know, if you're going to utilize it in that manner, be deserving of it or at least try to be deserving of it. We're humans. Yeah. You know, we're imperfect. And God knows that. But when he sees you trying, you know, that's. He wants us to persevere. And that's that's literally what happened to me because when I randomly went by the house in the grave of the DeFeo family initially, and that was like, I don't know if that was a year before uh, I got Ralph to go in that night because I, I had weird things happen. And it happened initially because the boy was coming through the spirit box while I was in front of the grave of the family and the house. And the kid literally asked for prayer. And this is something I've discussed with Ralph because I was curious at the time. I'm like, we both agree that no demonic spirit would ever want you to pray and bring it closer to God for any reason, period. So that's how we know to decipher 
whether we're dealing with the human spirit. So I, when I go to places and I pray for spirits wherever I go, every single place, I'm like, you want me to help? You say pray through that box, then I'm going to say a prayer for you. I know I'm dealing with the human spirit rather than something trying to antagonize a situation or mimic a voice and, and, and mock in some sort of way with the emotional tone or whatever it is. But it's never going to circulate back to God and, and that because it, it wants to you know bring you away from that. Um, but even to just interject as well, um, you know, what I found out later, because there was another documentary about Amityville after ours, we put it out there. And I never knew this, but they had put it in the documentary um, that, you know, John DeFeo was the last person to pass away out of the entire family that was shot that night. Now, that to me kind of stood out to me because then I speculate and theorize even further, because what if where what are the other souls of the family? Where did they go? And what if this boy came out of his body and passed away finally and then maybe that's maybe that's some sort of factor why this kid was stuck in that house and i feel like that gives a little bit more credence towards that direction yeah absolutely and i did not know that so i mean that would make total sense i guess um there's also been like theory that there's something obviously more sinister in that house that's holding spirits there or is creating some type of a vortex or a portal or have you um i mean what i guess what are your opinions on what you think is in that house i mean do you think i, I don't think it's just in the house i think it's the land and you know when i i did when i wrote about this experience about amityville and i put it in my second book like i had no idea that one day we'd do a documentary about it so when we decided with Billy, the filmmaker, my buddy, to try to put something together about this. I'm like, all right, man, well, then we're going to have to go back there and see if we can get pushed for questions to validate what happened with me and Ralph that time. And, you know, when we went back there, again, I was just, we're blown away with an infrared camera. There we are at the Amityville house in the background to see this, you know, spherical anomalous thing that's intelligent flying around the car and coming right through the windshield through the windshield, into the car, flying around, and then turning off my camera right when it got close to me, let alone the responses that we got referencing Ralph and his prayer, and that John had been crossed over, and that these these three evil spirits that I had a vision of were pissed off because of it, which is why I believe they started coming to me, and this stuff was floating around towards me. Um, you know, it's just, it was agitated. Um, but to even get the voice of George Lutz's voice coming through the spirit box, I mean, again, we know the demonic can mimic, but saying stole my soul and like, you know, and getting that voice from, uh, you know, um, Ron DeFeo Jr. Uh, he was still alive in prison, but it was his voice and it was saying I'm in prison and that's where he was. So I don't know if that was trying to mock, but this stuff was around me. I remember writing the book in my my old apartment and it was the middle of the winter and I just sit there in my ear while I'm like voice texting like this chapter about this whole thing. I just hear like a, like a fly buzzing by my ear. I would have so many weird things happening to me. There is something about this case. I, I almost feel as, as if it's cursed. It's, I don't know. It's just these, these types of cases um, that have such profound evil nature to it that stick to you like ooze. And every time you acknowledge it or even talk about it, just weird things happen. We actually screened the Amityville documentary last October in the town of Amityville with the lady who's in the documentary who owns a metaphysical shop. And within 24 hours, the filmmaker, myself, and the, and the owner of the metaphysical shop, we all started to have strange things happen. The home, the uh, metaphysical shop owner, um, owner heard her child call out to her and nobody was, her child was not in the house. 
Billy woke up hearing his wife calling out his name. Nobody was there. And then I'm driving down to the um, to the screening and I have Billy and his wife in the car with me and some random number texts him 315, which was the alleged time of the murders. And then I look at my car and it said 315 miles left to the gallon. And again, I heard a fly buzzing in my ears to the point where I thought it was in the car with me and I had to swat it away um, all within going down there and an airiness um you know documentary in the middle of amityville and yeah again there's there's something to this story again with hollywood you don't know what they exaggerate with these stories and things like that but there's something truly evil that has to do with this case and it's it's definitely in the shadows waiting lurking for sure that's terrifying and that's that's kind of why i wanted to open the floor and kind of pick your brains because there's obviously, as we all know, Amityville has, like you said, been blown up in cinema. It's been talked about. There's so many theories and skeptics. And then there's people who I think kind of exaggerate, you know, what has happened there because of the Hollywood productions of how many different movies. I don't even know at this point. So I, I kind of figured you both would probably have a pretty decent idea of having experienced it, you know, what could possibly be there. Yeah. You know, I got to tell you, what, what's not known a lot is the early history of Amityville is steeped in spiritualism. There was a lot of occult practices going on in, in that area. Uh, we have a, a witch's coven that's not, well, witch's coven. We have, we have an occult, um, I don't know if they're satanic, I believe they're um, Wiccan, um, not too far. Um, and, and here's another fact that most people don't know. You remember the movie, The Poltergeist, correct? Yeah. Well, that house is not in LA. That house is in Seaford, uh, Long Island, which is only a five, 10 minute drive yeah. from the Amityville house. You can look, you can look that up. Uh, that, that is a well-documented, uh, not only by uh, newspaper accounts, but police detectives, witness the phenomenon in this house um they called it popham the popham case so the original case of of, of the poltergeist was taken from seaford long island i think sean you're right there do you freeze up all right okay so um you know that whole area is is pretty much the history is rich of occultism uh, you know that's for sure and, that, and, and that's not only if you look at, um, you look at the Indian law now uh, about that area, the Amityville Indians. Well, I think um, Holzer, Holzer, Holzer proved, he went to historical society and proved that underneath where that house stands was Indian burial ground, where they say some of the mentally insane were buried face Indians, down. Indians didn't, well, mo most Indian tribes didn't bury their dead, they burnt them. It, it was said that that area was where they would put their criminally insane, you know, the the uh, the people of the tribe that break the rules and, and you know, they've been given a death sentence. They would put them there and, and chain them to a tree and just let them starve and die. Uh, so that that was the law that, you know, uh, the folklore of that area. But I could see it happening, knowing how the Indians, uh, you know, actually they didn't bury their dead. They burnt them. Okay. Wow. I didn't know any of that. Um, so kind of um, t 
touching upon something Ralph had said before um, about like occultism and things like that. Um, one burning question that I've been dying to ask the two of you is, so me and my husband are avid travelers. Um, he's more of the historical side of things where I'm more always supernatural. I'm always finding something supernatural wherever we go. So we go to Gettysburg a lot. And one thing that I have constantly felt going to some of the locations there is like, yes, there's a lot of residual energy. And I think that there are definitely spirits and things of such that probably don't realize that they're dead. But I think that there's a lot of really negative, bad, evil energy in certain spots, but I don't think it's from the events that took place there. And this kind of got my brain spinning. And I was thinking about the fact that um, I posed this question to another person I had on the podcast of how much is activity in some of these popular places, right? From an actual like residual haunting and how much of it is from occultism and dabbling. And how many times have you guys had to respond to cases where the dabbling has taken place like I know for instance one of your cases on the demon files I think it was the third episode um there was a family that just really couldn't be helped because they were one not telling the truth and two dabbling and they were constantly you know opening the same door and having the same issues does that kind of make sense I don't know if I'm making that no you're making plenty of sense but you know there's always need, there always needs to be an invitation for these uh, entities to interact or be um, permitted to interact with us on this earth. The thing is, is that it's not always the person that, uh, you know, uh, did the inviting that suffers from it, because once it's here, it's not going to leave on its own. It needs to be cast out, and it needs to be cast out through exorcism, whether it's a public exorcism, you know, or a uh, exorcism of a home. A solemn exorcism is, a set, is an exorcism of, of a person. Also a public exorcism is, a, is an exorcism of a person, but um, there's, there's really, there's no way that they stop on their own. And that's why that, that house in Seaford that I mentioned earlier, no one's ever gone in there and done any kind of exorcism. So I seriously doubt that whatever was there is gone. They go dormant for some reason. And it could be years and, uh, you know, decades later that, you know, um, people start to experience phenomenon. Another thing is what seems to trigger is renovating a home. Major renovations of a home seems for some reason to attract demonic uh, hauntings. Uh, I I don't understand why. Uh, I don't haven't heard anybody come up with a, a a reasonable theory on that. You know, at this particular point. So, you know, that's that's just one of the phenomenon that uh, that happens take place. I just, yeah. I mean, what you had said, I think, actually hits on a bunch of things that I've experienced and I wonder about. I mean, first of all, I love Gettysburg. I've been there so many times. I'm actually going to be at a uh, an actual paranormal conference in a, 
I think it's the weekend of the 13th of July. It's actually for Wounded Warriors. It's for a charity. It's a really good event. Um, and then, yeah, that place is so special and so much energy around. But yeah, I mean, I've been down there so many times. I've had so many experiences in the battlefields. You know, yeah, there's I've definitely encountered some seriously dark things. And I think it takes it back to what I talk about a lot, too, is that say, for instance, anywhere in the country, like they, they have the urban legends, you know, these, you know, you go to these places and they have these wild stories of what happens where the car is going to get pushed or handprints at the back of the car, whatever it is. But like, you know, you go there yourself. And what I like to do is because you want to go there and see if there's any sort of truth to that. You know, it, you, you, it's all about firsthand experience, especially these days and all the fakery that goes on. Um, but, you know, when it comes to, like you had said, what is residual? Now, residual is like an emotional imprint of an event that's taking place over and over again, um, energetically, that we can pick up little nuances and hints of that. Um, but when people go to creepy places to do creepy things um they add you know layers onto the energy of a place that may have actually never been haunted in the first place maybe there's some residual energy there but now they've opened up a door because they wanted to do something in a place that's aesthetically connected to that's you know weird. the macabre yes. and that's literally so you said it way better than i was like i can put my thoughts together, but trying to get it out of my mouth was not working. But that's exactly how I felt. Because one thing that I've noticed, and like I said, I, I don't ever put a title on myself, because I don't, I don't know what I am. I don't understand a lot of the stuff that happens to me, which is kind of why I decided to do this podcast. I wanted to talk to professionals and I wanted to get perspective. Um, when we go to Gettysburg, you know, uh, you know, Saxbridge, of course been there many so, times yeah so that so the reason i brought gettysburg up is because one thing that i have noticed that i'm very good at is differentiating and it's not even something that i do it's just my body's response to spirits i've never had an issue with spirits never been afraid of them i've seen them my whole life i have had experiences with them but i guess we'll call, i don't know like if it's demonic or evil I've experienced that and it makes me sick to my stomach, like physically ill and I get exhausted. And so sometimes like when we go to Gettysburg, you know, my husband laughs, but I have to take a nap or I have to kind of rest. And there's certain parts where like, I just can feel that there's just something very unnatural there. And so it, it made my mind turn to the thought of, you know, how much are people actually bringing here because they want to do their own paranormal investigations. They want to dabble and use divination tools and use spirit boxes incorrectly. And they're bringing these things to these places and they're not closing these doors. So it's I mean, that's a, that's a big tourist attraction. So you're going to get all diversified corners of society going in there and, and young kids doing ignorant things. So you're going to get all sorts of different things that are coming through there and not just the historical element. And that it happens yeah, everywhere. Understand, understand something. St. Pio was asked, about how many active demonic spirits do we, do we have on this earth? And his answer was that if they were to take physical form, they'd blot out the sun. They, you, you know, the demonic, they, they have no boundaries. Like your front door, when you get home and you shut your door, you think, yeah, I'm safe, hey, I'm good, you know? Yeah, you might be against some knucklehead, but the demonic are not, um, you know, um, bound by doors and things like that. And, you know, speaking of that, 
I'm, I'm not a big fan of this residual energy. And, I, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, and Ed Warren flirted with this years ago. He wanted to uh, look into the fact that maybe the, uh, the walls of, of a property uh, would retain the vibrations of what have taken place in that house. Now, if you look at physics, um, rock, stone, and wood are not good storage containers for energy. I'll give you an example. You know, some, some campers and hikers, uh, survivalists, they'll, when they, they start a fire, they'll put rocks in there and they'll get the rocks hot. And then they bring them into their sleeping area and they'll keep the rocks close and it provides them warmth. But the problem is, is eventually that rock loses that warmth. So they got to put it back in the fire. It's the same thing with energy. It, it passes through, but it's, it's wood and, and, and stone and not good storage containers. Nope. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk about being frozen in time. Yeah. <laughs> now Ralph um, Ralph is a residual energy. So yeah, I was like, <laughs> we'll have to take a picture of his face and send it to him. Be like, this yeah. is how he froze on the podcast. <laughs> Your glamour right. shot. Um so uh, from a mediumship standpoint, um, something, so again, kind of going get back to Gettysburg because we've had, um, we've had some really crazy experiences, just not even trying to, like, we honestly love going there. It's just a nice place to walk around, have food. Um, and we had a very, like, it takes a lot to scare me. I will say that. Like, I may joke about being scared, but when push comes to shove, it takes a lot to actually shake me. We had an experience at the Gettysburg Hotel, and we literally were so terrified. We left in the middle of the night and drove two hours to my mother-in-law's um, <laughs> because I was just... I just looked at my husband and I was like, whatever that is, is absolutely evil. I could feel it in every inch of my body. I'm pretty sure I left clothing behind. I just, all I knew was I needed to get up and I needed to leave. Sounds like what you did, like what the Lutz family did with the Amityville house. Yeah. I just, I didn't care what I was leaving behind. I'm like, I, I'm like, as long as I get me and my husband out of here in one piece. And it, I mean, I'm very much a Christian. I am always leaning on my faith and I know that God protects me, but there was something um, to kind of give you some backstory. I had left my phone at the hotel. Um, my husband went to uh, one of the, it was one of the bloodiest parts of the the battle Um picket uh not pickage charge uh so i'll pass that um so i was taking a nap in the car um and my husband i had gotten out when i woke up he was still in the fields and i went up to one of like the watchtowers to take pictures and he um i'm taking pictures of my camera and he comes up and he's like um he's like i try i tried calling you and you weren't answering and then you called me back but then it just disconnected and i'm like I couldn't have called you back. I was like, I, my phone's at the hotel. So he was like, oh, okay. Like, and he just seemed kind of weird. He's like, whatever. So we get back to the hotel. And what was really strange was he plugs his phone in and all of a sudden something pops up and it said he had a voicemail from 
a phone that I didn't have access to. And when he listened to it, it was a woman's very like, it was almost like a cackle. Very like when I heard it, it made my blood run cold. It was just a very, it made me almost feel like dirty. It was just a very evil like laugh. But the scariest part was when we were sitting there in the room, he played the voicemail. We both kind of looked at each other and he could tell that I just was feeling some type of way. And we heard that same exact laugh right in the living room area of the hotel room. Mm -hmm. And I looked at him and he looked at me and I was like, okay, maybe if I don't acknowledge it, we're just going to move past it and we'll like go back out. And then before I could even say anything, it then did it again, very loudly. It almost sounded like it could have been right next to my head. And I just got up off the bed and I was like, I don't feel good. I don't feel right. Like just something felt very just dark. And I don't know how to explain that, but it just, it did not feel right. Something felt dangerous. Like it just kind of triggered that, like, I didn't feel safe. So I took off and, um, other things had happened while we were at the hotel, but we kind of were just chalking them up to like, it could have been anything, but that was the one definitive situation. So kind of wanted to pick your brain on that. Cause I said to that, that was kind of what started the wheels, like really churning about this. Um, you know, I said the, this wouldn't have been like nothing evil would have resided here unless, you know, obviously maybe there was dabbling or something was brought here. So I, well, kind of I mean, to- not necessarily like I would believe that not just dabbling would invite the demonic in, but they're also attracted to the suffering because that's the, the, the you know, the energy that they want to get. So they could be attracted to, you know, the murdering of people there, there could be some sort of connection or ability for them to come through and well, something like that. Hospital, so that would make sense. That yeah. Would make sense. I mean, you know, hospitals in, in general, I mean, the, the amount of emotional energy that goes through the people passing away and what people have to go through, it's definitely um, going to be profound, but Ralph's back. If he wants to finish his. Uh... Yeah, I'm good. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I think I just about finished it up before that, uh, major clap of thunder put every dropped everything down so oh geez um i wanted to say you know i you know i know that you feel drained and obviously i've I felt this because i've thought about this too i've wondered i theorized about it i've talked about it with some some colleagues of mine too because we think about you know spirits and we theorize the fact that like you know, when energy is taken out of the environment, that you know, the temperature drops. And that's what we believe is that energy is being taken from that space. But, you know, I've said, you know, to my friends and stuff, I'm like, you know, we go around, you walk around for like a few hours, you're not even running, you're not doing anything crazy at all. And like, by the end of it, like, you know, you're, I feel like I'm craving food. I, I feel like my body's being affected by it. And I've wondered about it, if the spirits are not just taking energy from the environment but from our actual chemistry in our body and i'd actually be curious to do some sort of test before going into a haunted house maybe taking a blood test before you go into a place and then afterwards and see if your nutrients have been depleted it's already been done has it there was an exorcist that uh experienced the same thing after an exorcism he would be so tired he said it would take him a few days to recover um, so he had a blood test done uh, after an exorcism, immediately after an exorcism, and they found out that his blood was lacking uh, in the um, essential vitamins and minerals that normally are in your blood. Mm. So it would take him a couple of days to re 
generate, you know, those minerals and vitamins, I guess, through eating food and, and you know, because remember, there's also a black fast that goes along with uh, a solemn exorcism that's fasting for three days. That's one meal for three, every, every you know, one meal a day for three days. And, and it's really not even considered. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um. Another. Yeah, I, I've always thought about that. And obviously, you know, Ralph had a good story there. I mean, I never heard that one before because I really feel like it is. I mean, we joke around in the paranormal. It's like, you know, we have a paranormal hangover, but you really do. Like at the end of the night, you're craving sugar, you're craving, it's like a, you drank too much the night before. And it, it really, it's doing something. And, and, and it totally makes sense. It makes me feel better to kind of hear you like validate that because like I said, um, I just feel like I've been afflicted by so many things my entire life. And so it's like, I would always feel bad. And I'm like, you know, I would have my doctor check like my TSH hormones or I'm having them check everything under the sun, you know, am I anemic? Am I this? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes like my red blood cell and my white blood cell levels are perfect. And then it's like other times, you know, I am anemic and there's things going on, but it's like, I've noticed it. You know, I could walk around here, be perfectly fine. You know, I could go out mm -hmm. for the entire day, be perfectly fine. But when we go to, um, uh, where did we go? Fredericksburg. I think it was Fredericksburg. Mm -hmm. Went to the battlefield there, um, and Gettysburg. And I just feel like I'm absolutely just depleted and I, I feel bad for my poor husband because I'm like I have to take a nap and I don't want to be like a yeah. dead but yep. I, I was like is this me is this you know you, you tend to wonder so yeah I, I like I you know I just investigated we actually filmed a documentary at this place that just location fell out of uh, the sky for me and it's this old which many there hasn't been like anybody in there besides like one team years ago as far as I know, um, this haunted castle in upstate New York. And I had no idea before I went in, my buddy and I went to investigate it that like she told me that they found like occult rituals that went on there, like a five piles of ashes and a box with, uh, you know, symbols uh, on it. They were definitely conjuring something up in there. And it was a nasty, nasty demonic spirit um, that we weren't expecting. And it, and it followed us to the next place we were filming the documentary. And we'll, we'll be you know, that'll be all documented for the documentaries coming out. But um, I mean, I was drained because I did the exorcism ritual on that castle too. And, and like, oh, like the trip when I got home, like, I just felt like I had to, you know, just totally just chill out for a couple of days. I mean, it was definitely took its toll. I mean, especially with being around pro oppressive energy like that for a certain amount of time, I definitely think it um, does it as well. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I guess like I'm curious too uh with your demonology background um who would you say is the most susceptible to demonic possession and how often you know are you called to do these exorcisms Well I only do exorcism rituals on locations for the infestations of demons that would have to be an actual um traditional catholic priest uh that would be for solemn exorcism um but are you saying like does it happen a lot or why what were you saying yeah, again? like is it is it does it happen often like how often do you have to do it and then um you know so well I guess you couldn't that would be more of something for Ralph but I, um he's done for the session so just kind of seeing like who's the most susceptible to you know demonic well I mean session. for me it's being being intuitive and having medium and abilities being discernment and all that stuff 
Um, you know, when I speak to people, I may pick up something while I'm speaking to them on the phone, the way that they speak to me. Uh, it may be a, a visitation before I go to location, something that wants to introduce me to me, what it is, or try to sway me and, and you know, induce fear within me to try to avoid me from going to help somebody. Um, or it might be there when I initially walk in the house and um, what I'm starting to feel in the house and the impressions I'm getting. And if I start to investigate to try to validate what's going on in the home, whether it's a human spirit element or something that's inhuman uh, in a demonic infestation, then I would you know, correlate with my, my abilities because I consider my abilities my own piece of equipment and correlate with the other equipment we have to really uh, discern what we may be dealing with. And if it would be a human spirit element, it would just be a blessing in the house. And if, if it's an inhuman spirit, I would do the full on exorcism ritual. But I mean, you know, a lot of the times it's human spirits. But again, you know, being a demonologist, you know, these types of cases do come to you. So you have a better chance of running into them, um, you know, because sometimes paranormal teams just you know, they go and do cases or residential cases, but they're not really versed in the demonic and they can run into that. But, you know, again, the universe seems to, you know, have these things come to you somehow naturally, organically, mysteriously. Um, but, you know, it's it's not every case, you know, um, it just depends. Okay. Um, so uh, another question is, what would you say is probably, I guess, I mean, none of these cases are really favorite but like what was one of your more notable cases that you worked on that you'll probably be imprinted on you for the rest of your life well yeah actually the documentary that ralph was a part of malefice a true story of a demonic haunting uh that's going to be the probably the most profound one i can think of right now because it's very personal to me um you know i really believed i prayed and crossed over two female spirits that were trapped by an evil demonic force that were sadistically uh assaulted tortured and killed um by this evil man um in life and they were trapped by this demonic force and this demonic force wanted to take revenge against me and stood around for quite a few years about five years um and um it tried to mess with my personal life and took credit for a potential relationship sabotage and i knew that i had to go back to this place after five years of being there to kind of validate that this thing's been with me trying to wait and, and, you know, come after me lurking to take its revenge. Um, and also, you know, ultimately, you know, do an exorcism ritual in the place So we documented for four days and we filmed there and all the evidence we got, it's just, it's so astounding. Um, it's such a unique story. It's not like I'm just going back to investigate and help a family. These, these are, these are events that took place in the spiritual realm, some sort of thing where this thing was pissed off. I mean, I, I believe I took a soul away from the devil. I mean, you know, when you go into a house and you try to, you know, help a family, these are living beings that the devil's trying to get their souls, but somehow some way that these souls of these women that were killed in life, they were trapped by this demonic force and it was allowed to be happening. And because of my prayer and my free will choice and, you know, God allowed these female spirits to cross over and this thing was pissed. And, um, you know, that's a very profound, that's, you know, definitely a big one for me, for sure. I would definitely watch um, that one um, to get a better idea of what went on <laughs> and the reality of the evil we were dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did have that written down here because I was watching the, um, I was watching the like little, I think there was trailers for each of these. They were on, um, I can't think of what the, it was like a different video site and I can't think of what it was called um but one of the other things um was 
Letchworth Village. That's yep. an abandoned asylum. And I know with many, many asylums, I mean, especially in that day, they were absolutely horrible. So I feel like a lot of them have that negative energy surrounding it. Mm -hmm. um, what was your experience like there? I've had so many experience. That was the first abandoned, haunted place that I'd ever been. It was just, it was my upgrade from cemeteries. And I wrote about that in, in, in you know, my first book, um, you know, again, all the suffering and all those patients that were going through. And then also the element of people going in there and doing satanic rituals in there, for sure. Um, that adds to that. Um, but I mean, you name it, I had things happen. I've seen people scratch in front of me. I've seen doors slam. I've seen shadow figures. I've seen a mist appear right in front of me. I, um, I mean, I've heard disembodied screams of like in the hallways, reverberated footsteps when no one's there. I mean, you know, cabinets opening. I mean, I've been there so many times. I've had so many experiences. And even the cemetery down the street, which is one of the creepiest cemeteries around. You know, I live in Connecticut right now. Um, you know, it's probably like a couple of hours. I'm originally from New York. But, um, you know, the cemetery, you know, they had piles of bodies under each number. They weren't even have names in the grave and it's off in the woods. And I've had crazy things happen there. I've seen an apparition of a man in a patient gown and glowing eyes looking at me in midair. Um, I just growling. It's just that, that place is so haunted. There's so much stuff going on there. Um, any of those types of asylums where suffering has taken place. And then when you have the abandoned elements going to bring again, the interest in the macabre and people wanting to do creepy things in creepy places, which we talked about um, prior. Okay. Now, uh, what advice would you have for somebody, you know, looking to get into paranormal investigating the right way? Because um, I feel like I do have a lot of young listeners who are interested in the paranormal. Um, and kind of my goal is to really set forth realistic expectations on how to do it the right way and lessen the dabbling and help just educate people into being smarter than just popping open a Ouija board and inviting something in that they're, you know, that they don't know anything about. So, you know, what advice could you give? Um, you know, what really helped me was reading books of people that were pioneers in the field, like Ed Lorraine Warren, you know, and, and even Ralph. Ralph were, were around times where it wasn't cool to be a paranormal investigator. There was no TV shows. It was kind of like they were doing it you know, to really help people and do the research to, to really try to understand it. I mean, people would have to look up in the yellow pages to find a parapsychologist. And if you even talked about your house being haunted back in the day, you'd be run out of the neighborhood with like pitchforks and fires, torches and stuff like that. You know, now it's, it's so sensationalized that, you know, everyone wants to be a paranormal investigator because the Hollywood's melded into that. So you kind of have a twisted, you know, intention with what people are really interested in the paranormal, what people will just want for the fame and stuff like that. Um, but it, you know, you really have to realize that there's a delicate nature to this. It's not just a thrill. It's not going to amusement park. There's real stakes at hand that really could make you suffer and the people that you care about around you as well. I mean, um, when you open yourself up to this stuff, you have to be prepared for the repercussions. And I think reading books with some of these people, um, you know, like Ralph and, you know, the Warrens and John Zaffis and, you know, people around those times who so can hear about some of the cases that were the most extreme. So you could have a deeper understanding of what can take place in the worst case scenario to prepare yourself and to realize that you need to find or define spirituality um, because you can't fight these, these things with physical muscles. It's spiritual muscles. And um, if you go into this with an ego, then, you know, you're definitely walking uh, a thin line of, of putting yourself in a dangerous situation that could, 
you know, come at you now or even years later when you have no idea that you invited something in and this thing will wait very patiently and, and, and dormant. Um, so I would read up on, on things and, and try to define how you're going to protect yourself and prepare yourself for the worst types of things that can happen. It could happen on the first night, it could happen on the 10th night or hunch night, you know, um, it's just something that I learned too. I mean, I got oppressed by an evil spirit. Someone coerced me to play with the Ouija board at the beginning of my journey. And, you know, but oppression is no walk in the park. I mean, you know, it's, it's definitely something that, you know, some people might not be able to handle and tragedy could definitely happen. Um, these things can amplify your negative emotions to the point where you want to harm yourself or harm others. So um, that's the, that's the most dangerous, dangerous element of the paranormal, the influence that they can do um, to the psychological and emotional and spiritual side of us, um, and, you know, from the shadows where we don't understand that we think it's our thoughts or our emotions. That's, that's the most dangerous part. Yeah. I've heard the demonic are very good at, um, confusing and masking themselves as mental illness and, you know, creating that turmoil and that chaos. So, I mean, that's great advice. Um, so I guess, um, you know, my, I'll kind of uh, start to wrap it up, but one of my final questions um, is what was probably the absolute worst case that you've ever been on worst case scenario? Um, well, probably the worst case that I could think of just on what had happened and what went on and what ended up happening it's probably the story that I wrote about in my second book, Shadow Chase the In-Between, but also Devil Down South. And it's a true story of a girl that was possessed while she was pregnant with a child. And I couldn't think of a worse scenario for someone being possessed. I mean, she's going into a trance and not knowing she's carving an upside down cross with a screwdriver or, you know, you, you name it. I mean, the worst types of things were going on and no one wanted to touch her case with a 10 foot pole. And it was right before I was getting versed and knowledgeable of the demonology. And I, I felt emotionally invested to try to help her because no one else wanted to. And I experienced so much in that process. And it was a very tragic, harrowing story. I'd probably say that's the worst, um, worst thing that, uh, you know, I, that stands out to me because a child um, is in the middle of this, an infant. Um, so, but I think it's important to share that story because it brings awareness about people, again, dabbling. She dabbled in stuff, but you can also sympathize for her because of her upbringing, what was happening to her uh, growing up. Um, her aunt, correct. It was black magic. Yeah. Yep. Um, I did, I did look into that one and I have to say out of all the stories and all the little um, documentaries that I took a look at, the devil down south definitely uh, sent chills down my spine um, because I do remember watching a scene with her in the bathtub. Mm -hmm. There was, and I was like, I can't imagine, um, I just can't imagine going through that. And I mean, hoodoo, black magic, um, all of that has always kind of scared me um, just because I have heard of a lot of cases just kind of researching where it's turned very ugly, very fast. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, I can see why that would be the worst case. Um, and I mean, how do you feel about 
I know you use spirit boxes and, and things of that sort. Um, you know, I know divination tools are mainly driven by intention and, you know, protecting yourself while using them. Mm-hmm. And like you said, leaving kind of your ego at the door and using them properly. Um, do you think that obviously even using it properly, that there's still a chance that you're taking with inviting something course i mean we take risks investigating the paranormal there's no guarantees um what may or may not happen um you know obviously i know i know some people kind of debate like well what's the difference between a ouija board and spirit box and i'll tell you my opinion is that a spirit box i can lay on the table and it just speaks to me a ouija board is you're you're combining your energy with an inanimate object with the intent to communicate with something that you don't know you're communicating with and you're inadvertently in my opinion allowing it to channel through you like you're doing like a seance and and you know if you look at you know statistically speaking 95 percent of the demonic hauntings and possessions and oppressions have happened through the playing of the ouija board and many of the books that i've read so um i would take note to that as well um you know but yes we take risks um investigating using any of the sort of this stuff i mean things happen in my my place i mean ralph has had stuff happen in his house throughout the years you know with his daughter's um, and it also me being sensitive, like I, I'm more prone to picking up stuff than your average person. So it's like, I'm just accustomed to a lot. You know, if something I feel like followed me home, it's like, I immediately bless my place. And I'm like, get out of here. I mean, I've seen some of the worst of the worst standing right there at the end of my bed. You know, that thing from the castle two days before I did the exorcism ritual on the, the house, I woke up and saw red glowing eyes at the corner, you know, the end of my, my bed. And I looked to the left and I saw a side profile of a pale woman's face with black eyes with a twisted smile on her face. And I knew it was the thing from the castle because that was its facade that it was showing me when I initially was in the castle. Like, like I said, I've had so many things happen at this point. I'm accustomed to so much. It's just ridiculous at this point, but, um, you know, I, I know not to feed into it. You have to be weary. You have to be careful. These things are always looking for a crack in your aura to manipulate the situation, to attack you and make you a victim or people around you. If they can't get to you, they're going to go around to you, people that you care about. Uh, you know, for someone like me, it's, um, you know, I'm making enemies, uh, I don't know, in the right places because I'm supposed to, I'm, I'm supposed to be going up at these things, but you have to be prepared that these things want to retaliate definitely for someone like me not even just someone who invites you know something in because they're investigating because i'm i'm stepping in the way of um the enemy of man and that makes you an adversary to the enemy of man because you're 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 preventing these things from getting other victims to their you know end result which is someone being harmed or you know ending their life or just causing suffering in general and also ultimately making a mockery and telling, saying to God that this is why you shouldn't have created man. Um, but there's, there's plenty of dangerous elements in this. This is not a game. Um, but you have to, if you're willing to take that risk, then you, it, that's why it's good to be reading up on this stuff. So you can prepare for the types of things that happen and realize that these things can manipulate your emotions and your psychological approach <laughs> from the, from this background. Um, if there's something going on that doesn't make sense with your emotions and so forth, you got to learn how to be objective and, and and step away from that and reassess that there may be some sort of third person uh, influence. Now, um, just a couple more questions, just something that's popping into my head. Um, if you have, and I'm, I'm just assuming that you have being all the experiences that you've had, um, been under psychic attack, you know, what does that look like for you? I mean, like, 
because I'm sensitive and I can see things so easily when I'm sleeping is when we're most vulnerable. Now, when you're sleeping, you're in a meditative state and your subconscious is fully awake. Your rational mind is fully asleep. And these things know this, know this. And this is why the spirits come to us while we're sleeping for good reasons, for desperate reasons, or for evil reasons. And that's probably why I have some of those things happen, but they can also get to me a little, they have a better chance to try to get to me because I can pick up on their energies it's not just they can't really get into some of the people that are not open to that level um so that that makes me a little bit more prone and also i need to be even extra careful um so i had um an experience and this is something that i've talked about on a previous podcast episode um where kind of what you just said has validated a little bit uh, for me, something that's been a lifelong question. Um, I had a nightmare that to this day, I can see it. I can hear it. I can feel it. I could smell it. Like, and I had this dream probably when I was, I would say maybe eight. Um, I was absolutely terrified of the dark. I'm 28 years old. I'll admit it. I'm still afraid of the dark. Um, there's just something about it. I'm not really afraid of anything else, but that scares me. Um, and so as a child, um, I used to sleep in literally a sleeping bag in the living room because my grandparents could not get me to sleep upstairs in my room. Mm-hmm. Um, and on this particular night, I fell asleep and I felt like as soon as I fell asleep, it was almost like I sat up, but in a different almost like an alternate dimension of my house if that makes sense mm-hmm. um and whatever this was and this is what i assume was this evil thing that's been in my grandparents house for as long as i can remember um the hallway light was on and they had a very old 60s 70s style home um and you couldn't it wasn't like a banister it was a wall and you could see the light coming down and I felt like something was pulling me to this wall and I heard something calling my name and when I looked up at first it presented itself like my mother um and then when I started to doubt and I knew something was off and that it wasn't my mom. It like showed itself and it had no eyes. It was the most ugly, terrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. And to this day, it is something that still terrifies me because it was so evil. It was so dark and so just horrible that I always wondered um, cause one of the things that it said to me in the dream, when I told it, like, I, I was like, you know, I closed my eyes as tight as I could. And I remember praying in my dream and I just wanted this thing to leave. And I just yelled, like, you're not my mom. And it was getting increasingly angry. And it was like, so angry that I could feel it. Um, and then when it released me, cause it was like this gravitational pull that I was like fighting to not go up these stairs, um, I just remember it releasing me and it said something to the extent of like, I'm going to come back for you. Like, you're not going to escape me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, I am. Like, I was just like very resistant to whatever this was. And when I popped out of this dream, I woke up in the living room. It was my house again. And I physically heard something run down the hallway. And I always said to myself, like, I never knew what a psychic attack looked like. I never understood you know, um, you know, when people are most vulnerable to these kind of things, if it was demonic, if whatever that was in my grandparents' house, if it 
had bad intentions because that's what it felt like. So I just was kind of curious as to, you know, if you have been under psychic attack or something has approached you or tried to, you know, harm you per se, what that looked like to you, because I've, I've had so many things try to harm me. I mean, in my bed, I've had something like punch me in the face and it felt like an electrical jolt. I've had tug of wars, like trying to pull me out of my body. I had a little girl try to sit at my bed and say, come out and play with me and try to pull me out of my body. I'm like, little girl, I don't know if you're really a little girl. So, you know, whatever. And I'd be dreaming about being in my room and stuff like that. But for what you're telling me from your experience, like, it, it, you know, it sounds like to me that you may have astral projected into the astral realm version of the house that you were at the time. And that entity just happened to be there. And then when it saw you, it was trying to put fear within you. Yeah, it definitely worked. It definitely worked because like I said, to this day, um, I just never knew what that was because it just, I, I wish like I could put like a tape recorder in my head because trying to describe it um, is really hard, but it just felt like I laid down, I fell asleep and then I just like, it just felt like I sat up, like I never went to sleep, if that makes sense. And it just, and um, I will never forget the first time I saw the movie Insidious. And I remember that's sitting- That's your projection too. Well, and that's, I said, literally the scene where he's walking through the living room and everything is like that bluish hue. That's exactly what I felt. Like, it just felt like I entered my house, but it just, something about it felt different. Yeah. So and it looks like a bad documentary when you're seeing because I've been out of my body. I wrote a whole chapter about it in my book about astral projection. I've had many outer box experiences and run into some creepy things as well. Um, I got to order your book because I feel like you have really great stuff in there and I, I want to delve into it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I, I read a whole book about astral projection because it was happened to me a lot. And, you know, they say that, you know, a silver cords attached to your your physical body to your soul. Um, and that's what connects you and then brings energy into your, your vessel. Um, but they say, when you leave your body, you move by thought, obviously you don't have a physical body. And, you know, I started happening to me a lot. Um, and, um, I never actually forget one of the crazy ones I always bring up is that one time I all of a sudden was floating through church and I saw my younger self at like eight years old and I had a mushroom blonde haircut and my dad had big sideburns. I could hear the church music. And as soon as I started going close to myself down the pews in the aisle like we kind of connected and looked at each other and I heard this echoing voice saying Sean Sean you're going back too far far you need to come back back and then it sucked me back into my body and I was humming the church music when I woke up um I, I've had a, a bunch of things happen like outer body experiences or when something pulled me out of my body and I felt I felt like I fell 20 stories into this dark tunnel and I saw this like shadowy spider thing coming at me now, if you look at the front of my book, there's a, an image of me holding um, a white torch. Now, this wasn't something cool that I just came up with to put in the book. It was actually from Astro Projection because I was laying in my bed one day. I left the lights on and all of a sudden my, my astral arms came out of my body and I was looking at them flails. My arms were still in bed and I looked at one of my arms and I saw this beautiful white glowing fire coming off the white palm of my hand I just wanted to stare at it forever and I tried to hold on to it for so long because I know that these things can happen so quickly and you can lose the glimpse of it and it went on for 10 seconds I woke up in my my bedroom the lights were on just like my vision and I was trying to like look up about it and there's you know about what that might mean and online and people are saying it has something to do with being a healer or some sort but anyways you know when that thing pulled me down that shadow I remember looking at my hands again and, and like I saw that white glowing fire and I just went like this and it just shot at it and it scurried away and I felt my 
sucked right back into my body again. Like I, I've had some pretty crazy astral projection stuff. But that's awesome. Like this yeah. is, I love hearing this stuff because um, I do feel like in a sensitive aspect of things, um, I think Chris McKinnell said it the best when I had him on here. Um, he said it, a lot of people who are sensitive, they live in a lot of isolation. Um, and a lot of the times, like I, I didn't understand half of this stuff. And I just thought I was like, well, I'm just a weird kid. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I, I was like, am I schizophrenic? Am I, you know, and I'm, you know, going to therapy and, and I'm seeing a psychiatrist and I'm asking them like, do you like, am I weird? Like, is this, you know, and not that being weird is a bad thing. Cause I love that I'm weird, but I just, you know, trying to figure that out and kind of hearing your stories is very validating. And it, it's neat to be able to share that to other people who are listening, who may still kind of be in that spiritual closet per se, um, and don't know how to understand some of these things. So if there's one thing I can kind of say to my listeners right now, um, definitely check out Sean's books. Um, the first one is Shadow Chaser um, with David Weatherly and Shadow Chaser, um, The In-Between, which is the second book. Um, and I believe you can both, you can find both of them on Amazon. Yeah. If you live in the US, I mail out signed books to people on my website, seandaustin.com. Otherwise you can get on Amazon anywhere else. Um, and also really quickly too, Shadow Chaser too. I, I didn't come up with that. So a friend of mine showed my picture to a psychic she trusts, doesn't know who I am. She asked what are your psychic impressions of Sean? And she said that he's a shadow chaser. And she's like, well, what do you mean? She's like, well, he's meant to take shadows and send them back to where they belong. That's why I call my books that. Oh, I love that. I really yeah. like that. Okay. Well, I like having a little meaning behind the titles. Cause I mean, from what you and Ralph kind of talked about a little bit, that's a hundred percent what you are. Um, you know, and maybe, um, hopefully maybe we can try and get you and Ralph on again at some point. Um, I know you guys are both busy, but I am just super grateful to have had the chance to kind of talk to you a little bit today and, mm -hmm grateful for you showing up and just kind of giving our listeners some really neat uh experiences and insight and stories so um no problem thank you for having me yeah absolutely um so we'll talk soon and as always um let's get weird <laughs> <laughs> all right have a great day you too bye